Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. I appreciate you joining us as we continue to celebrate the people who have worked so hard to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. It's Thursdays on the show, so we have the expanded markets. I want to welcome the, our listeners in Jackson and the Mississippi Delta and, of course, all along the Mississippi Gulf Coast as we continue this celebration. Listen, uh, I have a very special guest. I'll go ahead and bring him in. He's a he's a good friend. He's been on my show many, many times. We enjoy visiting. In this particular case, he's coming to us from Italy. And uh, let me welcome my friend, uh, entrepreneur, community mm-hmm. leader, and lots of other descriptions for him, Robert St. John. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Ricky. Uh, good morning where you are. Good afternoon uh, from uh, Barbarino Valdelsa, Tuscany. Well, we'll talk more about why you're there, but as you and I were chatting, as we've discussed on, on past shows, you kind of found your home away from home, and you described uh, the, the Tuscan people as being very much like like Mississippians. They very much uh, uh, welcome you there. They have pride for their community, and and that's one of the reasons you feel at home there, isn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, I first came here in 2011, and it's one of the things that struck me immediately is that Tuscany is a lot like the American South and like Mississippi, as you said. You know, it's an agrarian society, but instead of cotton and soybeans, they're growing, you know, olives and grapes. Uh, The people are very hospitable. Um, They're family-oriented. They love to sit and share a meal uh, they're generous. I mean, really, and, and, and other than the landscape and um, the language, uh, it's 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 a lot like the South. I felt I don't um, you know I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I did, I would I would think several of my past lives were probably spent here because I felt felt at home right away. That's that's very cool. That's very cool. Listen, uh, I was uh, you've got a new book out. We'll get to it in just a second. But Mississippi uh, mornings, it's a it's a great book uh, based on what I've read so far. And look, I thought Ashley Christensen, uh, one of the chef proprietor of AC Restaurants, the way uh, uh, that that quote that quote described you is the mm-hmm. best. And uh, so I want to read it for, for folks who don't know you very well or maybe have, haven't heard you at all before, and uh, we'll get into some of this. But this is what was said. I often wondered where my friend Robert St. John gets the energy to do all he does, leading his eight restaurants and bars, writing and publishing more than 10 books, and continuing to initiate and drive multiple community-focused efforts. Turns out the answer is simple. He never misses breakfast. In fact, He's been known to enjoy a version of, of it more than once a day. After driving into Mississippi, diving into Mississippi mornings, I get it. The book is a beautiful tribute to the most important meal of the day, giving us all the freedom to enjoy it all day. 
That's a great quote. I thought that was really good. But you know, you tra- I don't, you know, the the reality is the travel part of Robert St. John's has taken on a new life over the over the many years. Of course, during COVID you were sort of sidelined for a period of time. But it's great to get kind of get that part of you going again, isn't it? You know, um it's it's nothing I ever planned on doing. The, uh, you and I have spoken about this several times, but um in 2011 I I took my wife and, at the time, my 10-year-old son and 14-year-old daughter and bought a Volvo and flew to Sweden, hopped in that Volvo, and traveled for the next six months in 72 cities and 17 countries on two continents. And um, the travel whole travel thing came from that. Uh, Actually, the 10 weeks I was in Italy, I flew White Waters over. Uh, He and I had done two books at the time and we worked on our third book together which was called an italian palette and um i wrote my column uh, every week from there from here and uh, people when when we were on the book signing tour people who had read the column or followed social media um, started saying man i wish you'd take me to italy i'd love to eat at that restaurant you wrote about or i'd love to you know, meet the butcher of Panzano, or I'd love to see that fountain you painted, Wyatt. And at first you just think it's people making conversation while you sign their book. But I kept hearing it, kept hearing it. And finally, um, I called Wyatt up one day. I said, man, I think people want us to take them to Italy. You want to do it? And uh, he said, sure. So I figured it'd be a one-time thing. And I made a Facebook post and uh, the trip filled up in an afternoon. And then there was a waiting list, and the waiting list got a waiting list. And then, um, so we took several groups to Tuscany and then filmed the TV show we were doing over here. Then we did Venice and Bologna, Milan, because those people were saying, hey, where are we going next? And then we did that a few times, filmed a TV show, a TV show there. Then the people said, hey, where are we going next? We did Rome, Amalfi, Naples. Um, COVID hit and and Wyatt decided to kind of stay closer to home and he and his wife have been traveling around and he had a a great book that came out last year Uh, but I still had people asking me to go so I kept going and we did Spain a couple of times, Holland, Belgium last year, Tuscany a bunch and uh, was just about four or five weeks ago I was in Sicily with a group the cool thing about that group Ricky is that there were two ladies uh, it was their sixth trip with me. The majority of the group, it was their fifth trip, and and everybody was at least, there were a couple of people, it was their second or third. So, you know, must be doing something right. People keep wanting to come back over here, and as long as they do, you know, I, there's something in me that loves turning people on to other things. I was like that as a little kid. When I was six years old, if I had a new 45 and, a, you know, I'd go to my friend, oh, you got to hear this. You can't wait till you hear this. And Or in, in my adult years, you know, you got to try this restaurant. It's what I write about a lot, turning people on to cool local things. And, and so by hosting these tours, uh, that I'm able to do that. And, and I'm in the middle of a five-tour stint. I got my last group coming in tomorrow we did a we did a group in sicily four or five weeks ago and then we've had three groups so the interesting thing about the next group is because last year i was only going to do four tours this fall because i have the book coming out and uh i have some cousins up in the washington dc area maryland and virginia 
And they said, hey, if we can put together a group of the family, will you stay over an extra week and tour us? And I said, man, I can't pass that up. So I've got my family coming over tomorrow, my second cousins and a lot of people. So I'm excited about that. And uh, then I get home on the 15th. The new book comes out the 17th. The new bar opens the 20th. And I go on book tour, and then we're shooting the next book uh, the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas. So I stay busy. It, it, it just it just never stops. Uh, hey, I enjoyed, in fact, uh, the Sicily post that you made. I'm a big movie fan. I'm, I'm a huge Godfather fan. And it's, uh, it's great to sort of place yourself in that history, isn't it? Oh, you know, it's until Almost Famous came out in 2000, uh, The Godfather and The Godfather 2 were my two favorite movies. Now they're just two and three behind Almost Famous. But, yeah, we were able to take the group. Uh, for those that know the movie, uh, when uh, Michael sees Apollonia for the first time in the, in the Sicilian hillside, yeah, we were there. We were in the town where... Uh, he met the father and, you know, by accident, you know, was talking about this pretty girl and offended him and went to the wedding. They got married in, uh, went to the estate. This was really cool. The estate where he was uh, in exile uh, and the car blows up. You remember that scene? And then Apollonia blows up in the car. We went and had um, hors d'oeuvres there, met the Baron. And that's also the same how it was in all three movies. At the end of Godfather 3, when Michael dies in a chair, he kind of slumps over. Some people say he didn't die, but um, I sat in that chair, which was kind of cool, right in that same spot. Uh, in Palermo, we went to the opera house. We I took my group after hours into the Palermo Opera House, and they had wine and um, aperitivo, and, and, and we were the only ones in that opera house, which is... Uh, the, where the final scene of that uh, movie happens when his daughter gets shot and killed. But yeah, yeah, I'm a Godfather fan. That was uh, people seemed uh, people on the group seemed to dig that. It was fun. So, wonder what is the term? What is the term for someone who loves to show people new things? There's the, there's got to yeah. be a term for that. Robertization. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't personalize it like that. But I. You know, I just consider myself a, a host over here. I'm not a tour guide by any means. We hire tour guides uh, who are certified over here, who know so much. I know, I know a good bit because I've been coming over here um, a while. But but you put what I know next to what these certified guides know, and it's just minuscule. Um, a certified guide over here goes through a year-long, just for Florence. Uh, you go through a year-long process, and at the end of that process, um, you go up in front of a panel of six people. There are people behind there in an audience, and you're just sitting in a chair, and it's like defending your thesis. They ask you things like, in the Uffizi Museum, on the second floor, in the third gallery, the second painting near the door on the right, who is that artist's mother? And you've got to answer. <laughs> no, seriously. And they That's know that. Incredible. So. So yeah. we have certified guy. I'm really a host. I just turn people on to these things I've discovered and the restaurants I've uh, discovered and have fun doing it. When we come back on the other side with Robert St. John, we'll actually talk about a famous uh, uh, person who actually joined them this past week. And uh, it's great great to hear that. We'll, we'll uh, continue our conversation with Robert St. John when we get on the other side.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Just so thrilled to have Citizens Bank as a major sponsor of the studio for the Ricky Matthews Show. They're doing great work across the state and uh, in the community. So it's uh, great to be aligned with Citizens Bank. Uh, we're having a conversation with my friend uh, Robert St. John. He's a restaurateur. He's a writer. You know him uh, in so many different reincarnations of his life. We were just chatting a bit about his love of uh, especially Italy. I mean, that's a kind of a second home he's sitting in right now where he's actually sitting as we speak with a, with a um, Tuscan sunset behind him literally as we speak. And for our Facebook, Super Talk TV and YouTube audience, you can see that. That's beautiful, Robert. Yeah, it's um, this villa is the one we first came to when uh, we came to Tuscany. And we have been going hard on that long trip. We landed in, in Gothenburg, Sweden, and about three weeks later, we were in Istanbul, Turkey. So we were we were moving pretty fast for the first uh, two months. And when we got to Italy and to, to Tuscany, really, we had a three-week uh, space of just downtime. And, and we came here, and there's a beautiful view. Uh, this view looks west. It's about 30 miles of nothing but grapes and olives in the Mediterranean over that last range over there. So it's, um, it's a beautiful place, and uh, this is one of the villas we, we bring our guests to. Well, listen, uh, we all know Jimmy Buffett uh, came from Pascagoula, and we're very proud of, of that native son. And we're just so distraught over his untimely death. I mean, to me, to me, Jimmy Buffett seemed like that guy who was going to live forever. He just, he seemed like that. He, he looked the part and it's quite unfortunate that he had to, he, he had to get ill and sadly, sadly passed away. But his longtime friend is his longtime bandmate, the prolific songwriter, Mac McAnally actually joined you guys over there. It's great to spend some time with Mac, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's been trying to get over here for several years, and um, you know he was always uh, you know kind of Buffett's schedule dictated uh, his travel, and I travel uh, in the fall, in the spring, not not in the summer or winter, and uh, so you know the tour schedule was always came first as it should, and he finally was able to come this year. Uh, was great. He brought his daughter, one of his daughters. He has three. But, um, yeah, it, he had never been to Italy before. You know, he's traveled the world with Buffett. Mm -hmm. and, um, they've been to a lot of places and played a lot of different venues. But um, he had never been to Italy, and I've been trying to get him here for a while. And uh, I think he had a blast. And for people who watched the CMA last night, uh you saw the Buffett tribute with Kenny Chesney and Alan Jackson and Zach Brown and, of course, Mac McAnally. Um, he would actually probably still be with you guys if he didn't have to get home for that, huh? Yeah, I kept worried because we had some rain last week. And, we're, we're, you know, every couple of times we were walking around in the rain. I was like, man, you okay? Is your voice okay? You know, you got the CMA gig, you know, the day after you get back. He said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then towards, uh, we were in Siena, he said his throat was getting a little sore. And I, was, I, was, I, I got a little worried, but um, I talked to him later, and, and he, he was good to go. And 
Um, there's 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 several tribute type things coming up, but really the first one is this uh, C, the CMA thing that that aired last night. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, Robert, you, you've got a lot going on. Uh, I don't know how you do it uh, as prolifically as you do it, but your book writing, each book is an immersive experience. I have several of them in my collection, and I mean, it's literally an immersive experience. Usually, it involves incredible art. In the case of Mississippi Mornings, uh, you have uh, uh, photography by, by Kate Dearman. And um, you're proud of this book. You've worked on this one for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I wanted to. I had a three book deal with a New York publisher uh, starting in like 2006 or something like that, and and I wanted to do a breakfast book, and they weren't real keen on that. And I wanted to do a Christmas book, and they said, "Well, let's do a holiday book." And I said, "No, I'm going to do a Christmas book," and they they weren't keen on that. So I I finished my three book deal with them. And I've always wanted to do a breakfast book and a Christmas book in the background. Uh, it's been in the background of my mind. And so last uh, year before last, actually, we developed the book. We shot it last summer. And then with the Walter Anderson book and everything that was happening in the fall, I postponed it for a year to make sure, you know, I could focus on it. Uh, as it would need to be focused on. And so, yeah, it comes out the 17th. And uh, I'll be all over the state. I, I, I'm a breakfast guy. I mean, uh, from from as far back as I can remember, I eat breakfast. I never miss breakfast. If uh, if I'm in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you will always find me at table 19 in the Midtowner at 7 a.m. and in the bakery, uh, Lob Lolly Bakery that we have, uh, either before and after that sometimes. So I'm um, I never miss it. My son is the same way. So when we were on that long trip over here. Uh, the girls, uh, my wife and daughter would sleep late, and my son was 10 at the time, and he could get up early with me, and we, we ate breakfast all over the world. I, the most memorable one was uh, on the Royal Olympic Hotel in Athens, overlooking the Temple of Zeus, and uh, having having eggs and, and croissants with him there. So, you know, I've I write about a lot of those memorable breakfasts, and uh, I talk about or I write about my breakfast memories in that book. So there's great photography, and uh, there are also stories about breakfast and Southern breakfast and growing up in the South, and and about 110 very unique and different breakfast recipes, all very Southern. That's why it's called Mississippi Mornings. It's a it's a Mississippi book. Listen, as I hear you talk, and I often think about this, um, regular listeners know this, but I'm a, pretty much a workout nut. I've worked out weights for like 40 years and do 40 to 50 miles of running or walking every single week and have done that for nearly 40 years. And I fast every morning. I have a long fast window that I do. And, you know, because I, I often say there's a big fat guy trying to get out of me. I mean, if I if I don't pay attention I will get big. It's in my genes to get big. When I hear you talking about your love of of, uh, of food, especially breakfast, why don't you weigh three hundred pounds? I don't get it. Well, I am the fat guy that got out of you. I'm. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't, you know, I have, I have a pretty high metabolism. I, I could lose 25 right now, but uh, I lose weight when I'm over here. People never believe that because we eat so much. We feed so many people over here. And every morning I get up and drive to the bakery and have a couple of pastries at this local bakery I, I, I frequent. But, um, you know, I've looked into the fasting thing, and I think, but, but I'd have to start fasting at like four in the afternoon to make that you know, 16 hour deal. Cause I'm going to have breakfast in the morning. I, I'll skip dinner. Um, I'll skip lunch, but I do breakfast for supper about once a week. And that's, that's from childhood. Um, my mom always did breakfast for supper on Sunday night, which I loved. And I had two grandmothers who were great cooks. One was known for her pancakes and the other was just known for her Southern cooking. And I would spend the night with them and have breakfast. So I have so many great breakfast memories um, it's, it's good family time as well. What's interesting though, it's, uh, for you, it's, it's more than just the food It's the experience. Of course, the food is part of it, obviously, but what is it about breakfast that is so inspiring to you? You know, I think there's a freshness of the new day. Um, at least with me, I'm, I'm so ADHD, hyperactive, man, I'm like, bah, 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 bah. my mind's going and going and going. But first thing in the morning, it's clear. Um, I get up really early because, you know, that's the, the only part of my day typically that's all mine. You know, I don't, I don't have somebody tugging or somebody calling or anything else. And, um, and breakfast is that first meal. But I just like breakfast food. I mean, you know, eggs and bacon and biscuits and pancakes and French toast and, 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 you know, egg sandwich, all of those kind of things is just right up my alley. I really prefer breakfast food over pretty much any other meal period food. I, I just don't eat it three times a day, but I think um, it, it's also a time I use it for when I'm at the Midtown or Table 19 uh, to have business meetings as well. People people will say, man, I need to meet with you about this, meet with you about that. So I said, well, I'll be at Table 19, 7 o'clock. You know, feel free to come on in if you want. And either way, I'm there or not. But I also have such great memories, not only of my childhood and both grandmothers and my mother who always made breakfast, but I have memories of when my children were small and, and I made breakfast. My wife uh, made breakfast on school days because uh, I was typically already going to work. But weekends were, were daddy breakfast uh, weekends. And, and I would either make my grandmother's pancake recipe there or um, I would make my daddy breakfast, which is I would cook bacon in my cast iron skillet, take the bacon out, use the grease and cook hash browns in that bacon grease and then do eggs and uh, biscuits or toast or something. That's, it sounds that's kind of really good. <laughs> it sounds real. We'll do breakfast up at the hunting camp from time to time. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation about uh, Robert St. John's new book, Mississippi Mornings. And uh, just talk in general about what some of his favorite parts of the book. We'll see you after this.
reminding you why we all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Robert St. John with us. He's actually coming to us from Italy, uh, and I'm sitting in the Citizens Bank studio and, and proud to be here. When we went to break, we were talking about his new book, um, All About Breakfast. It's a it's a terrific book called Mississippi Mornings. Uh, you know, one of the, I, I, at the, I mentioned the hunting camp. I have a place up in the Mississippi Delta, and friends and some of my closest friends and family go up there with me, and we're up there a lot this time of year. Used to have a big pot of coffee and we drank that and that was fine. But somewhere along the way somebody made me give in to a Keurig. And look, I I used to drink when I when I went to New York and um and and visited with with my owners when I worked for Advanced Condi Nast. Um Keurig was their thing. And so I kind of slowly but surely gotten into it. What's what's been interesting to me though is the different flavors that you can do. And a couple of friends of mine have an Italian roast that they sort of turned me on to. And it seemed uh, richer, you know, uh, pretty strong, uh, at least the ones that I looked at. Is coffee a big deal in, in Italy? Coffee's huge over here. Uh, and it's uh, it's a little bit of an awkward situation for me because I'm not a coffee drinker. Back home, I drink iced tea uh, for breakfast. But coffee is huge. Um, they they treat it differently than we do. They would never think of uh, staying in their car and driving through somewhere and getting a big cup of something with a lot of cream and sugar in it. They mainly, like at the bakery I go to every morning, they come in, they, they usually don't sit down. They order what they call a brioche. We co- we would call a croissant. They say it was one of brioche and espresso, and they'll they'll stand there. They're, it's a five minute visit. They're they're eating a brioche. They're talking to their buddy or or whoever walks up, and they they down that espresso. And they may have something with cream in it in the morning, but after about ten a.m., uh, it's only only tourists are ordering coffee drinks with cream. In it. Italians, they're they're very, um, and I want to qualify this because I'm not one of these people that all the Italians so much better in Italy and all the Italians. I I love Mississippi, I love America, and 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 we got it going on almost everything. They got us beat on olive oil and history and a couple other things, but you know, um, they they are very aware of how the body digests. And so things, uh, that's why there's no cream after, you know, early morning hours. They have a salad later. They have a pasta course before the meat. Um, a lot of people say that's because when you when people used to invite the priests over after mass, um, they would feed him pasta and try to fill him up before the meat came because he'd eat all the meat. But, um <laughs> You know, they have the salad after the meat, and all everything comes back to digestion. Um, desserts aren't super sweet, uh, so there's not a lot of sugar in the diet. It's still very uh, Mediterranean uh, diet. I mean, that's if you can see that ridge right there behind me, just over that ridge is the Mediterranean. So, I mean, we're in the middle of it, and the Tuscany has a huge coastline. And I was, I was a little snobbish about Tuscan seafood for a long time because I grew up you know, an hour north of the Gulf, and, and we had a fish camp down uh, on the Gulf Coast, and so I spent my summers there. And I was a little snob because because I still believe that Gulf Coast seafood is the best seafood, and I've eaten seafood from all over the world and 
in a lot of places all over the world. And I still, I love our Gulf seafood, but um, they do a good job over here. And I don't know if you know or not, but there's a, a huge problem with blue crab over here. Have you heard about this? No, no. It's a, it's a major, major problem. Um, it's a problem we at home would love to have. But in northern, in northern Italy, on the coastline of the Mediterranean and the coastline of the Adriatic, uh, ships that are coming from the Atlantic and the Gulf that fill their ballasts and, and blue crabs get in. And so they come over here and when they're at their docks where they unload the ballasts, well, blue crabs are getting out. The problem is there's no natural predator to the blue crab in Italy. You know, uh, back home, it's stingrays and sharks and, and things like that that eat crabs. Well, there's none of that over here. And, and the bigger problem is that the blue crabs are eating the squid and the mussels, which the Italians love. And they have no idea what to do with blue crab. And, and so it's a pretty big problem now. And, you know, a, one blue crab lays, you know, hundreds of thousands of eggs. And, and so uh, they're proliferating uh, at a rapid pace because there's no predator over here. But, you know, it's a, it's a problem, again, we'd love to have. But we just... <laughs> I pay wholesale, like right before I left, around $38 a pound wholesale for jumbo lump crab meat. It's five euro a pound over here. Wow. Retail. Retail. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, that's incredible. Uh, I, I suspect they're going to learn how to put that impasta in the things here pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, creating a significant commercial market, if not there, everywhere. <laughs> and just yeah. Just yeah. exported or whatever they're going to do. Hey, listen, when you look at deep into your book, Mississippi Mornings, what what's the favorite story that you tell? Um, you know, I, a lot of it has to do with my grandmother and both of those grandmothers. And, and I had one, uh, my maternal grandmother made pancakes. We called her Muzz. My, my older brother named her. I don't know where that came from, but that was her name, M-U-Z Muzz. And, and Muzz's pancakes have been a thing. You know, I've been writing this weekly column for 25 years, and about every three or four years, I'll, I'll write something about my grandmother's pancakes and publish that recipe. It is by far on my website, robertstjohn.com, the most downloaded recipe there is. It's There's something about, you know, most pancakes are pretty one-dimensional, and they're just bread and a vessel to kind of carry the butter and syrup. But but her pancake recipe, she was from Nashville, and so it must have come from there uh, around the turn of the last century. And uh, there's there's a little depth to the flavor profile, and they're really, really good. And so I, I wax a lot about uh, those pancakes and how, you know, I, I, I can remember I was about six years old, and I was at my other grandmother's house. And she she made pancakes for me. I think it's probably Hungry Jack out of a box or something. And she asked me how they were. And as kids are wont to be, when they're honest, um, he said, well, they're not as good as, as Muzz's pancakes. And probably hurt her feelings, but I think she got on the phone and got the recipe because the next time and every time after that I stayed over there, she used that recipe for pancakes. So pancakes are, I, I look, I think pancakes are love. If you think about it, and, and if you think back to all the times in your life when someone made you pancakes who, who wasn't getting paid to do it in a restaurant, <laughs> but it was somebody who loved you. And, and, and so I think I've always associated 
pancakes uh, with love and, and still do. Hey, Robert, when I think about my grandmothers, both of them ter- ter- were terrific women, but my grandmother on my father's side, we called her Mamaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a I, I, You too? Yeah. Yeah, so I was, uh, I sit, she would sit across the table from us, but she would make really crispy, thick bacon and, you know, uh, scrambled eggs with cheese. But man, her homemade biscuits were to die for. She, she would make the best homemade biscuits in the world. And then she would sit and watch you eat. And if you did not clean the table, I mean, cl- excuse me, clean your plate, she would say, like if you just left. Uh, a tablespoon of eggs. She would say, "You didn't like your eggs." <laughs> you know? yeah. Of course, rarely did anything get left. Get left, but man, homemade homemade biscuits was was the bomb. Dot com for our family. You, you talk yeah. about those as well. Oh, absolutely! I've got the recipe for the for the Midtowner biscuits that we make uh, at the at the Midtowner in Hattiesburg, which to me are are. Excellent, excellent. The best I've ever had biscuits. And uh, that recipe's in there, in addition to several other versions of, uh, of biscuits as well. That's, 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 that's pretty cool. So, uh, listen, it's going to come out. The book's coming out. So your 13th book's coming out on November the 20th. People can actually go to place pre-orders. He mentioned the name of his website a second ago, but it's easy to remember, robertstjohn.com. And uh, you got a man. You got a long list. I'm looking at the book signings and events at independent booksellers and local stores and marketplaces all across the state of Mississippi. So you're going to come back and you, you're literally just going to hit the road, aren't you? Yeah, I love that though. I like to stay busy. So, you know, that's that's going to be good. The thing is, um, I used to do big box retailers and you know do all the big national chain bookstores and everything. And I'm, I'm such a proponent of eat, eat local. I mean, the, the whole back of Crest City Grill and Mahogany Bar is a massive 25-foot-tall mur- mural that says eat local. And, you know, it's, I started thinking, you know, I got to practice what I preach. And so um, lately, um, I only, probably the past three books, I just do independent bookstores and gift shops. And... Um, don't do national. I think maybe there's an Amazon store or something, uh, but you know, uh, the only places I go sign books and the only places we allow to sell them, uh, brick and mortar places, are independent, locally owned booksellers and gift shops. So I'll be I'll be touring around and the end of November and part of December with uh, those books. That's uh, that's really cool. Listen, uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about the latest incarnation of the mahogany room, which you just mentioned there just a second ago, and yeah. then we'll uh, we'll talk about what's what's coming up with extra table, one of the most important efforts in Mississippi to feed people. We'll see you after this break with Robert St. John. of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Restaurateur, writer, kind of famous on TV, too, talking about 
travels and food and you name it. Uh, Robert St. John's has, uh, has contributed back. We're going we're gonna to talk in just a second about Extra Table, an incredibly important effort that's underway, especially this time of year. We really want to focus on that. But as I mentioned, uh, the Mahogany Bar has a has a wonderful history, and there's a there's a new incarnation of the bar that's been uh, underway. And what amazes me, I might add also, you have this incredible collection of wine and liquor, and you don't drink. So I, I always found that pretty amazing. When you're talking about Tuscany Hills behind you, of course, you talked about the olives, but you didn't talk about the grapes, which are some of the best in the world. Therefore, you have wonderful wines coming out of Italy, but for good reason. You don't drink, and uh, but that mahogany bar is a special place, isn't it? Yeah, that's. Uh, I've been cleaning sober for forty years. I'm not a prude about it. I mean, it put my kids through college, but it just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, so mahogany bar we opened in 1991, and Purple Parrot, as uh, some people know, was a COVID casualty. We closed during COVID. Uh, I was working on a Tex-Mex concept at the time, and it made the most financial sense to just move that to where the Purple Pear was. Uh, we have, um, because of the taxing it did on our kitchen, um, and Crest City Grill was kind of suffering, in my opinion, and so I put it put the entire El Rio Tex-Mex restaurant in storage. We're moving it to Jackson here sometime next year, and we just expanded the Mahogany Bar and built uh, an oyster bar, and it's beautiful, man. I'm so proud of this spot. And we probably could have opened it five five or six weeks ago before I left, but I didn't want to do that if I wasn't around. And so uh, they've been training and, and working and getting it just right uh, till I get home. I get home on the 15th and the 20th. Uh, we open the, the new mahogany bar. The old mahogany bar is still there. It opens up into this new space, and... Uh, the new space is a little uh, nicer, a little uh, more comfortable and cozy, a little lighter. Uh, the OG Mahogany Bar kind of focuses on beer and whiskey a lot, and the new one will be wine. Uh, we've got still have close to a 4,000-bottle wine inventory left over from the Purple Parrot that's just been in those Eurocobs all this time. And so we bought um, a wine system uh Enomatic that um, that uh, we can put all these really fine bottles of wine in and do things by the glass that you typically wouldn't be able to do, and uh, we reworked the patio area so it's uh, it's really special. It's going to be something really cool, and I'm very excited about it. Plus, it enabled us to expand the Crest City Grill menu, which I've been wanting to do for a while, but just because of the Tex-Mex restaurant, we couldn't expand the menu. And we were stuck with kind of the COVID menu that we had pared down. So the menu is is probably about to grow by a third with a lot more appetizers and small plates and and some other things I've just been wanting to do for a while. It sounds really cool. Uh, c uh, congratulations and good luck with Thank the opening. Extra table. You got a plan to 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 distribute 9,000 whole Mississippi growing chickens instead of turkeys this year. And I mean, this is, this is the, this is the big deal. Uh, but before we say that, how many people did you feed last year? Um, well, it's, it's hard to put a number on it, but I can tell you that we shipped a few million pounds of food and uh, for every dollar we raise, uh, we we can we can buy five 
whole meals. And we're in 61 agencies across the state now. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an operation run by two people, uh, a very small office in Hayesburg. It's really the most effective and efficient nonprofit uh, in the state. And every Thanksgiving, we've been, we typically ship uh, shelf-stable foods, low-fat uh, proteins, low-sugar fruits, healthy grains, low-sodium vegetables, everything's shelf-stable. But we've done this promotion for the past several years. We were able to source, I think it was 3,000 turkeys last year. It was, it was hard to get turkeys. We got 3,000 of them and gave them away. Um, what we do is we raise money. We use that money to purchase whole food really below wholesale in bulk. Um, and we deliver it to agencies free of charge. The agencies don't pay us anything. Uh, all 61 of those agencies. And so for Thanksgiving, uh, we, we did things a little differently and we sent turkeys out. But, you know, what we learned after doing that three or four years is that a lot of times it's harder for the clients of these food pantries to cook turkey. It's much easier for them to cook chicken. And so we, we uh, purchased 9,000 Mississippi-grown chickens uh, this year. And... Um, Everybody who donates 15, 15 bucks puts three five-and-a-half-pound uh, chickens uh, on a family's table that likely was not going to have any kind of Thanksgiving meal at all. And so anybody who's interested in, in helping feed those in need over Thanksgiving, you can Venmo at Extra Table, or you can just go to our website and donate. Again, $15 puts three whole chickens on the table of somebody who likely was not going to have any Thanksgiving at all through Extra Table. Th thank you for continuing to keep focusing. I love visiting with Martha Allen. She represents you so, so well when we talk about this. And um, so $15 donation gets three five-and-a-half-pound whole chickens to a family to so go to the Extra Table website or do a Venmo to at Extra Table, uh, they would really appreciate it. Listen, thanks for coming to us from Italy, Robert. All right, buddy. Have a good one, Rick. You bet. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Take care. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.